Thank you, Nate and Alice. Uh, boy, thanks for those great testimonies. Really appreciate that. Uh, Gabby and Christina and Chet and for organizing that. Uh, Michelle and Derek, thank you so much for your parts in that. Hey, don't be concerned. I am not going to preach a full sermon today at this point. Um, what we're going to do is have an extended time preparing for communion, and I'm going to give kind of a mini teaching, uh, preparing the way for our time in communion so that hopefully it's a, a richer and deeper time for us. Now, what we're going to be looking at is what is happening when we participate in communion. And I'm looking at sharing five uh, with a bonus um, of, of things that God is doing when we gather together in communion. <clears throat> you may be aware that in the history of the church, communion has actually been a very divisive, contentious thing, particularly over what the meaning of is is and where the location of Jesus' physical body is. And there has been endless discussion, particularly in the 16th century, over those issues. We're not gonna solve those issues today. Rather, what I wanna focus on are the things that we hold in common, the things that all believers through all time have been able to hold on to and say these are the things, these are some of the things that are happening when we celebrate communion together as the body of Christ. And the first is the word Eucharist. Have you heard that word before, the Eucharist? At its essence, it means the thanksgiving or an offering of thanksgiving. <clears throat> and this was the dominant uh, sentiment, the dominant reason that people celebrated communion for the first 200, 300 years in the early church. Most of their writings focus on the Eucharist. They focus on the thanksgiving, the thankful heart, really our, our disposition that we come and bring with us when we remember our salvation our redemption, our victory over the enemy. And so when we celebrate communion, we like to, to end with this sense of, uh, of euphoric celebration, this thankfulness to God, this posture of gratitude. So you'll notice generally when we have a communion service, we'll end it with a send-off song that is joyful, that's a reminder of the, the joy that we have and the life that we live in light of what God has done for us. One practice that I would like to encourage you to participate in that I started doing many years ago and continue every time we celebrate communion is when, when I partake of the bread, I say a little prayer. It can be as simple as, thank you, Jesus. And when I drink the cup, same thing, as, sim as simple as, thank you, dear Lord. Thank you, Jesus, <coughs> as, as a way of bringing the Eucharist emphasis into this shared time together. The second thing is the Lord's Supper, another phrase that you're probably very familiar with. Um, this is a reminder that Jesus, when he was participating in Passover with his disciples on the night before he died, that he gathered them around a table, not an altar for a sacrifice, but a table to serve them as the host. This is a supper that he leads them in. It's really an enactment of the, the reality that the sacrifice that has provided forgiveness of sins and brought us into reconciliation with God, that sacrifice has already been enacted. So it's not a reenactment of the sacrifice, it's like a celebrative meal in light 
of the sacrifice that has already happened. And there's two elements that are always uh, in view here. One is the bread and the other is the cup. And as we think about the bread, <clears throat> there's an analogy that, uh, that Jesus draws on himself in John 6 that takes us back to the wilderness of the Israelites with Moses. And this is, this is like, 1,500 years before Christ came, right? And there's this manna that is coming from heaven, this substance, they don't know what it is, and so the word manna actually means what is it? Now, about 90 of us were over here with Pastor Robert yesterday with the disciple, Deeper Discipleship One, and early on he had an Abbott and Costello, the, the, the famous sketch, who's on first, right? Well, I think if Abbott and Costello would have gotten a hold of this material related to manna, you know, it might have been a six minute thing that started something like, what is it exactly? No, what is it? What is it? I'm asking you, what is it? What is it? No, would you quit asking me, what is it called? What is it? You're driving me crazy. What is it exactly? In a way to gone from there, right? Um, because that's what it was. It was this strange, mysterious substance. They, it was mysterious. They didn't have full understanding of it. But the point was God provided it. It was manna from heaven. You couldn't eat yesterday's. You can't eat tomorrow's. It's bread for today. And Jesus draws on that analogy in John chapter six, and he says, I am the bread of God. I am the bread that has come down from heaven, and you are to feast on me. As the nourishment of manna fed them for the day, we're to feed on Jesus every day. And the elements of communion remind us of that, the feast, the spiritual feast that is available through Christ, who is the bread of heaven given to us. In the Passover ceremony, there is the word, instituted this is the bread as it was passed around. Interestingly, Jesus at the Last Supper, he changed the words, transforming the meaning, saying this bread is my body. Um, and part of the Pas Passover ceremony, again, this is a pre-enactment, again, put in place 1,500 years before Jesus, that Jews did this in every Passover, there would be three matzah breads. They're covered by cloth. And early on, the middle bread is taken out and it's broken and half of it is placed back in the middle. The other half is hidden away and it becomes kind of a halftime entertainment for the children, this contest to go find it. Who can find the hidden matzah, and when they find it, then they celebrate it, and they eat it. They celebrate it, and it's partially restored here, and then, they, and then they eat of the bread. And we can see the analogy that God placed in the Passover ceremony, the three persons of the Trinity, and the middle one is taken out, and is broken, and his humanity disappears, and on the third day, reappears and is celebrated. And he says, this is my body to feed on me. Um, the Passover service had four cups of wine also, but let me just draw attention to 1 Corinthians 11. I didn't mention earlier that when we're thinking of looking at communion and trying to study and trying to get an understanding of it, there's three 
major synoptic passages, each of the uh, synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, gives a presentation of the institution of the Lord's Supper, and it's related to uh, the Last Supper. It's in Mark 14 and Matthew 26 and Luke 22, and we'll be looking at brief verses there. And then Paul does so here in 1 Corinthians 11. And in 11 verse 24, he says, this is my body broken for you, given to you. And then in the next verse, Verse 25, he says, in the same way also, he took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Now the Passover service tended to have four glasses of wine, and the third glass of wine was called the cup of redemption. And we sense that what Jesus did was, this was the time where the third cup is being poured, and he's pouring it out in front of them, lifting it up and saying, this is the blood of the new covenant, the new covenant that is promising the forgiveness of sins, that reconciliation to the Father is available. This is being poured out for you, so drink of it. And he sends out this common cup for them to share in and to participate in the blood of Jesus Christ as it were. Um, So he's inaugurated the new covenant here, and the bread and the cup serve as two witnesses testifying to the reality that the new covenant is being inaugurated and Christ is offering the forgiveness of sins. And so the Lord's Supper reminds us that he gave himself for us sacrificially on the cross at the cost of his life. And our focus is not on the brutality that he went through, but rather on the extent of God's love for us, that God himself would arrange history to come and to die for us in our place. This third part is communion, another familiar word, and that's the word that we use most frequently in our circles. And this has two aspects also. It's to commune with God, or commune with Christ, and also to commune with one another. Uh, I have a a, a concern that I wanna share that I have experienced in many other churches as I've traveled uh, through sabbatical a few years ago and on vacation over a number of years. And many times we show up at churches when it's their communion service. My concern is the, the, the trivialness that communion is often given where scripture may not be read, reminders may not be given, Um, reverence may not be included, and sometimes it's so casual and just radically individualized. Something that should be uniting the body and participated in together is, um, you know, there's tables set up and people are told, you know, just um, go ahead and participate if you want, whenever you want, and some people don't want to, and I watch many people not participate, and we see mixings of, of, of things where like the, the bread is dipped into the juice and so the, the two testimonial witnesses are, are combined and we lose the significance of that. And I wonder, do, do people know all that's going on in communion and all of these rich metaphors and symbols that, that, that are behind this and have we lost some of the richness of this participation together? Um, so, Look at uh, 1 Corinthians 10, 16 and 17. This is a preview to 1 Corinthians 11, 
But in, in two verses, Paul draws attention to crucial theology for us. He says, the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? And the bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? So when we participate in the bread and the cup, that word participation is the word from which we get this concept of communion. We're sharing in, we're we're partaking in together. So we're taking him in, we're taking in Christ, so to speak. And look at verse 17, it says, because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we will all partake of the bread. So we have this other sense in which we become the body of Christ. So Christ has resurrected in the fullness of divinity and restored humanity in his glorified body. He's ascended to the right hand of the Father. Where is Jesus today? Well, he's at the right hand of the Father in heavenly splendor and he mediates himself to us through the Holy Spirit and we experience him spiritually through the Holy Spirit. So where's the physical body of Christ on earth, so to speak? Well, look around the room. No, really, not a figure of speech. Look around the room. Take a moment and envision, behold, and discern the body of Christ, everyone who has placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You have become a participant in the body of Christ on earth. We're the organism through which Christ is manifesting and doing his work on the earth before his return. So, in light of this, there's a warning in light of these two aspects. Uh, and this is part four, the warning to not participate unworthily. Now I've had probably two experiences with this that I've seen rather commonly. One is <clears throat> that people who know that there is a warning take it so seriously, perhaps too seriously, meaning they're afraid to take communion because they might do it wrong. Maybe they got in an argument with someone this morning and they haven't reconciled it yet and they're feeling some, uh, some guilt, maybe even some false guilt and it's like, I'm not gonna take communion today. The other thing I've seen sometimes is people aren't even aware that there's a warning. There's a warning? The church has never emphasized or taught that there's a warning. And so I want to read this warning passage uh, with you. 1 Corinthians 11, starting at verse 27, it goes through 32. Whoever therefore eats the bread and drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Verse 28, let a person examine himself, notice here, then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So the purpose of examination is not to not participate, it's so that you may participate. Verse 29, here's the warning, for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So there's a condemnation for the world there and there's a condemnation potentially for believers in this. We're trying to figure out what this could possibly mean. But Paul is saying there is something so severe that in his day they were aware of people who'd actually gotten sick and some who had actually died 
based on how they participated in this R-I-T-E rite of communion. <clears throat> now, it seems in the context of that paragraph that the discerning the body is referring to the body of Jesus. And yet, in the paragraph above that that I didn't read, you can read it, but there's this condemnation for those who are mistreating one another. They're partying, they're reveling. The rich are taking advantage of the poor. Some are feasting, some aren't getting any food at all. Some people are getting drunk, and Paul is saying this is a mockery of what the body, the people of Christ, is supposed to be when we remember Jesus shed, uh, shed blood and broken body for us. And look at where he goes immediately after clarifying this judgment, this is where he returns actually in verse 33, back to that topic. So then my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. So there seem to be two potential judgments in view as far as I can tell. One is for unbelievers. I want you to listen carefully here because there may be some of you in the, in the room here that you have not yet placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and I want you to hear this warning because it is for you. To participate in the bread and the body of Christ is something for believers to do. Those who are actually already connected with the Lord Jesus Christ, who are connected to the life of God, and this is an enactment, a reminder of that sacrifice that we have received, that Jesus is in us. And so, for you to participate in that is a mockery. It's lying, it's deceitful if you have not yet placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You run the risk of bringing judgment down upon yourself. Rather, we would encourage you strongly from our hearts, let this be a day of salvation. Let this be a day where you receive the forgiveness of sins that is offered you through Jesus' shed blood and broken body. Let this be a day where you recognize that in your sinfulness, God has provided a savior and he is desiring to reconcile you to the Lord. Let this be that day where you come to Christ in light of communion and then come and let us know what God is doing in your hearts. Talk to us, we will pray with you, we will uh, lead you and invite you in baptism, and then later, after initiating you into the church, then we'll invite you to participate in communion. The other is for believers who are in hardened sin or in severe broken relationship with other believers, like willfully, I am not going to be reconciled with that person. And sometimes people can come to communion or know that there's a communion service coming and they can say, well, I'm, I'm not gonna do communion because I haven't fixed this thing. Or I'm not even, I just won't even bother going to church because they're doing communion and I'm not ready for it. Let me urge that there's a better solution there and that's to utilize communion as the means by which you become restored back to God and utilize communion by, as, as, the, as the means and as the reminder that you need to pursue restoring that relationship. So that if you know that there's going to be another communion in a month, 
I've got 30 days to make that appointment to restore this relationship with that person. I've got 30 days to invite other people to come around me and pray for repentance and my transformation so that I can stop sinning and I can repent of that sin so that I can participate fully in the communion with Christ and communion with the body the next time we participate in it. Uh, Let a person examine himself and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. The last thing, uh, number five, is the remembrance, the memorial. This is the call to remember. In communion, we remember by consciously focusing our minds, our hearts, on what God has done, the severity of love that sent Jesus to the cross. We think of Jesus, we remember his obedience that he followed through to lay down his life for us, to go through the shame, to go through the suffering, to go through the separation with the Father on our behalf for us. This act of taking time to remember, this can change our hearts. This can change our attitudes. This can change our values and our perspectives on things. Jesus did all this love for me, I mean, he did all of this sacrifice for me. What kind of love would inspire this? What kind of perfect righteousness would require this? What kind of holiness is in the background of God that, that, that would set this up? How holy must God be? It's hard to focus on the next cool app or the next cool television show or the next YouTube thing the next thing to scroll through when we can remember the deed of the universe, he came to give his life for me, to join my life to him. He came to sacrifice in my place. He didn't merely die, he died for you. He didn't merely suffer, he suffered in your place to reconcile you to the Father, to give you forgiveness of sins. So we remember his death. We remember his resurrection. We remember his victory, his victory over death, his victory over sin, his victory over Satan. We remember that. And looking backwards, this is where the bonus comes, it propels us forward to look forward in anticipation because the Lord's Supper reminds us of the Last Supper, which propels us forward to the wedding feast to come. Matthew 26, verses 28 and 29, describe this as the blood of the covenant for the forgiveness of sins, and Jesus says, I will not drink again until that day when I drink it anew in my Father's kingdom. The table both reminds us as it says, in remembrance of me, right? It both reminds us of the presence of Jesus with us through the Spirit, but it also reminds us of his current physical absence. But this time is coming, this day that we look forward to, when we will see him face to face and behold him as he is, and it's gonna be a party, it's gonna be a wedding banquet that you don't wanna miss, a reception that is unbelievable and will not take too long, right? Uh, Because we will go home, we will go to our eternal home, we'll be united, the church will be united with the Israel of God together as the bride of Christ, with Christ as our bridegroom. So every time we celebrate communion, these are some of the things we do. 
These are some of the things to recall, some of the things to remember that we participate in. I'd like to ask the ushers to come. Let me just pray for our offering. We're gonna move into this time of observing communion. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for these pictures in your word that describe for us a little bit of what it is about to commune with our Savior. And God, we wanna say collectively thank you for Jesus' body broken, for Jesus' blood poured out for us. We pray that this will be an enriching time lingering in this territory today. God, we re- would you receive our offerings as they come from joyful, cheerful, transformed hearts. We give back to you with, with, with deep gratitude. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I want us to participate in two things before we pass out the elements, and they're both forms of prayer. One is to take this Eucharist seriously and the participative nature of that, and then the second is to, is to take seriously the, the warning and the examining of our hearts. And so the first we're gonna do publicly, the second we're gonna do privately. And I would just like to encourage half a dozen of you or more to lead us from where you're sitting in single sentence praises, vocalized praise of thanksgiving. God, I am thankful for this. And speak what you are thankful for. And uh, let's go ahead and begin that right now. I'll start us out. Lord Jesus Christ, I thank you so much for the pouring out of your blood and giving us the tangible cup of redemption. It's a picture of the new covenant. Thank you for that. 